Green Crow Inn, a novel by Derek A. Kamal, read by Kelman Friedman. Chapter 12. Bosses and Cowards. Finally, winter ceased its flirtations and arrived in earnest. It was cold, and so the warm common room reached capacity more often than not. The return of Skivrin only added to the number of bodies in stuffy air. The leader, at least in my mind, of the local disgruntled fatherly types was a bit more subdued upon his return, but just as lubricated as usual. He seemed grim somehow, and angry. I watched the dads from my post near the hearth. Skivrin had been almost silent the first hour, and then, as only the dead would have failed to note the rising temperature in the tavern, shouted, "'Oi! Can we get a window open?' Then he whipped his gaze round to the bar, spied a frowning Kalka, and promptly returned to the quiet nursing of his snow-cream porter. The innkeeper nodded at Furrier, who sighed. Traversing the crowded room was a challenge for him in his long gait, but he managed, throwing open a window on the courtyard side. The rush of cold summoned a low groan from those nearest to it, but the rest of us were grateful. It seemed the hearth was doing its job and needed no further tending. So I took some initiative and patrolled the dad's tables. Most nodded their shaggy heads at me in a familiar way and offered many a no thank you when I asked after their drinks. The conversations were bog standard as they nibbled their dainties, which child was doing what, rough timelines concerning when they would get back to their formerly fit shape, how annoying work was that week. Severing the mundanity was the voice of Elgad. My ears perked up, and I thought of their mysterious red cloak. You know, we dealt with that as well. Now we have two wonderful girls, nothing to be ashamed of, he was saying to Skivrin. Skivrin was quiet, and stared ahead at nothing in particular, but I could positively feel the rage bubbling off of him, and wondered what it was about. Ah, Torsen, said Elgad, and I wondered if he'd noticed my noticing. "'Say, I've heard you all speak of seeing someone in the wood up on the hill,' I tried. Elgad did not hear me. He looked at me distractedly and said, "'Bit of, um, snail shell for Skivrin here?' I nodded, sighed away my irritation, and made my way to the cellar, dodging guests as I went. At the threshold of the kitchen I nearly ran into Sumi. She went to her left as I went to my right, and then the reverse happened. When we finally stopped, I laughed and said, after you. She smiled and nodded as she paused, and suddenly my trip downstairs wasn't such a chore. A warm feeling saturated my chest. Her smile stuck with me all the way down into the cellar. The silence of that underworld was stark after the noisy common room. The musty, earthy smell was heavy as well. It struck my nose in multiple waves as I browsed the wine racks. Snail shell is to your right, loser, said a voice. I jumped and said a few words unbefitting good manners. Isru, you must stop that, I shouted. Why? Is Shatan even here? I could see her small frame shrug in the dim. Then I caught my breath and went back upstairs to face the crowd. The remainder of that week, the first week of winter, was largely a blur. The dads came and went. Ivor played his heart out to little avail. Nayurgi lingered like a persistent rash. Mugs flew, food was served, Shatan regaled us with her tales of battle, rooms were cleaned, and horses were tended. My beard showed no signs of improvement. Not unlike the inn itself, my mind felt half-occupied at all times. Thoughts drifted to red cloaks for no particular reason, then back home to my father, and then, subsequently, to room 21 and the brooch. 
It was all unpleasant, and my racing mind showed no signs of slowing. The test beer, and the need to start the full batch, nagged at me also, even in sleep. Dashing to and fro on a busy night, from the common room to the kitchen to the cellar and back again yielded many stumbles and accidents, for I could not help staring at the mudroom and the little keg as I passed it by. Kalka was not pleased at this. The disdain of the innkeeper, the unceasing anxieties around the beer and looming party, the brooch, and other unhelpful and intrusive thoughts burdened me. Even the overcast weather weighed on my shoulders. It was nervous work, and lonely. Feeling more isolated than usual, I thought of Nandaya and her red cloak, again, and wondered if she were dream or reality, if I'd begun building up this fantasy of a woman I'd never lay eyes on once more. But then there was Sumi Kind, here and in the flesh, and my thoughts turned her way yet again. So my restless mind found a new relieving distraction, and I caught myself staring at the dwarf woman an unfortunate number of times. Whether she was chatting with patrons charmingly, or going about her other duties prettily, I took notice. I also scolded myself each time, but found it challenging to stop. Conversations between us, sparse in this busy time, remained work-related. So, I kept myself alert for the opportunity to speak to her more candidly, to express my affections and ask after her own, to perhaps find some companionship in a lonesome time. The moment came sooner than expected. Late one night, towards the end of that week, I was idling before sleep, fussing with the brooch as my mind continued to race. Thoughts of beer were foremost, but also gilly. I had to go and speak to the brewer and begin the real batch of wintertide lager. I also had to figure out what to do about this stolen property. A knock on the ajar door shook me. The brooch was swiftly deposited into its home in the top of the dresser drawer. Then I saw Sumi's face, round and pleasing, smiling from the doorway, and my heart leaped. "'Sorry to be disturbing you,' she said. "'No, no,' I stammered. "'Do come in.' She shrugged and slipped inside, one hand smoothing loose hairs back into place and a line towards her ponytail. "'Well,' she said, "'Kalka wished for me to be telling you that Gilly will be coming to the inn tomorrow. So you must be finishing your chores before lunch, so you are having time enough to speak with her.' My eyes widened. How grand! I didn't think the innkeeper had even heard me when I'd asked to speak with Gilly. I was just mulling over that. Sumi's face brightened and my heart leapt again. It is exciting, no? Very. Well, she shrugged and sighed, I will be going to bed now. Wait. I lifted a hand. Sumi raised her eyebrows expectantly. So, do you, um... I was unprepared, but knew this was my chance. My throat cleared itself, and my words lurched forth. I'm very fond of you. She smiled again, and I felt I might fly. You are being very nice, Torsen. I am fond of you as well. Though I wasn't sure at first, with you doing the gossiping and all. But yes, fondness. I coughed nervously. You know, I wasn't sure at first either. I mean, you aren't exactly the usual type of woman I find myself attracted to. Sumi blinked. But, I continued quickly, you are very attractive, very pretty, it could be awkward, you know, courtship between co-workers, and unorthodox, I suppose, you being a dwarf and all, but I think it's a worthy thing to try. Sumi cackled and snorted. In a moment, she collected herself and said, You are doing the joking! Oh my, this is what I was meaning. At first, you were seeming immature. But you are so funny at times. 
Can you be imagining? A dwarf and a man together like that? She sighed wistfully and wiped a single tear from her eye. My back to the mirror, I could not see my own expression, but I'm sure it was one of abject confusion and embarrassment. Hers, after a lengthy and thick pause, turned to absolute astonishment, and I wished for death then and there. Oh, my! She cried, then brought her voice down to a whisper. She closed the door. You are being serious? Well, I... Torson. She coughed a laugh and seemed to consider her words. First, I am being married. I fear my eyes would bulge completely out of my skull and prayed for sweet death. And certainly you are a handsome young man. I am a dwarf, but also a woman, no? But really, I don't know that I was ever hearing of man and dwarf. The backs of her hands bumped together awkwardly. Together? Like that? Is this so in the capitals? I considered, then admitted I had never seen such a couple, barring the pair I'd seen that may or may not have been together back in the fall. Even were this not being so, she shrugged, I am reminding you of the first, my having a partner. And how many years are you thinking I have? The best response I could muster was a stammer and a shrug. Sumi sighed again and settled into the chair on the other side of my room. Let me explain. You may be knowing, as you are educated, Maybe you do not. All dwarf homes are really being small groups banded together. A return to something academic lessened my embarrassment, so I nodded. There are houses led by ladies, and cogs led by bosses, she began. My family is being part of House Lotus Way, and many of us become shapers, um, masons, you know? Yes, of course. So I am, or was, being one as well. I was altogether loving my work. My husband, Aver, was being a setter, a jeweler. We were being very happy, as newly married couples often are. But then it was my father, along with the old boss of the Shapers, who was coming to me and sitting me down and saying, I must be the next boss of the Shapers' cog. It was appearing a good job, she continued, her voice lilted in a sing-songy sort of way. I do like people and I do like masonry, but the weight of the job was being very heavy on me. I was very unhappy at this thought of being a boss, and so after a few days I left. She sniffed and scratched her faint stubble. That's it? I asked. The little dwarf woman, who was apparently much older than I'd imagined, shrugged. You just ran off? My thoughts swirled again at this unexpected discovery that was so similar to my own situation. You left without telling anyone. Sumi barked another laugh. No, no, that would be being very cowardly. I flushed. No, I was explaining the situation to my father, to Aver, to Our Lady. They were disappointed, even angry. But they were understanding. A year and a day, I told them. She made a mirthless face and suddenly looked as sad as I'd ever seen her. A year and a day for me to be finding out what I wish to do. Though it has been somewhat longer than that. I ran away, I finally admitted. Sumi's look turned from sad to compassionate. In cowardly fashion. There, I've said it. I saw my life laid out before me, heard my father explaining to my mother some job he had chosen for me, and I rejected it. I ran away, without telling them or anyone else. 
Sumi tilted her head. Perhaps this is being a thing among men of the capitals, the running off. I shook my head. No, I fled. My father is something like one of your cog bosses, I suppose. We don't have a family business, but he would ensure I would find something respectable to do. Without my choosing. That's not what I want. There is too much of the world to see. I want to travel and learn, maybe even cross the break and see the southern continent. I want to see a dwarf home. A sigh shook my body. Maybe that's what I feel towards you. Some kinship, I suppose, between two people stepping away from what life had chosen for them. I didn't know if that was true, but I hoped it was. Besides saving me from a bit of crushing embarrassment, it sounded nice. Sumi rose and patted me on the shoulder. Perhaps so. Do not be too rough with yourself, Torsen. You are being young, but, without really knowing it, you are being wise enough to find a place to be sorting yourself out. This place is good for such stuff. My hands rubbed my face, and I sighed one more time, feeling like a worn-out husk flapping in the wind. It is time for sleeping. Sumi went to the door. Good night, Torsen. Good night, I whispered, and attempted to smile. The door closed. I leaned back on the bed. Then the door opened again, swiftly. Sumi's face appeared. She squinted. You understand, don't you? I will not be romantically... Oh, yes, I said quickly. Because I want there to be no misunderstanding. Understood. Good, because I am having a spouse, as I said. Yes. Very good, because... Thank you, Sumi. Good night. She smiled again, and all my frustration fled. Good night. This has been The Green Crow Inn by Derek A. Kamal, read by Kalman Friedman, with music by Michael Elliott. To find out more, including how to purchase your copy of the novel, please visit shorelessskies.com.